Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. Hello, everyone. So glad that you're here today. Uh, if I don't know you, I'm Luke. I'm the pastor here. Thank you for uh, being with us. I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Acts in chapter 16. The book of Acts in chapter 16. I, uh, again, just want to underscore the invitation uh, to join us at 1215 for the newcomer lunch. If you're able, um, I'm going to just make it in a more selfish way. The more people that show up at the lunch, the less food that will be left downstairs uh, that I will end up wanting to eat when I should be working or work doing something else. So, Selfishly, we'd love to see you there at 1215. I want to preach to you today about this truth. Uh, it might sound simple, but you're going to see it in your Bible. It's really powerful. Jesus Christ is for everyone. Jesus Christ is for everyone. Jesus Christ is came to earth, died a, a death, uh, is reigning as king now for all the people that are on this planet. I want to show you in Acts chapter 16... Uh, as the story is evolving, we've been studying the book of Acts for quite a bit of time now, the story is evolving to increasingly include more different kinds of people. And the writer is going out of his way to try to point any direction he can find to say to you and to us 2,000 years now later that Jesus Christ is for everyone. So I want to tell you the story. We see like three little vignettes in the text today, and I think it's going to be really powerful as you see what comes from that? Uh, if you're ready and you're in Acts chapter 16 for that, would you just say ready? All right, let's read together. Thank you, Sam. So setting sail, uh, now in verse 11, we've made it to verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city for some days. On that Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Pause there for just a second. So we talked about this last week, if you were with us, that uh, Paul is entering into some of the greatest times in his life and in his ministry that he's ever had. And here, they're on a journey from place to place trying to start new churches. And so they make to this place, Philippi, it's described as a leading city, yet on the Sabbath day, they didn't go to a, a synagogue like they had in other places where there were enough gathered Jewish people to start this ministry. There's not enough for like a quorum, so they go where they think people might be praying to the riverside. Paul, Paul continues this pattern here of engaging Jews first and then Gentiles, so they go to where the people are. There was a place of prayer by the riverside, so they got there. And they went and talked. It says here that the people who were there were women. Okay, verse 14. Uh, one who heard from us there was a woman named Lydia uh, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. 
The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. A couple things you want to notice there as you look at your Bible. This woman, Lydia, it says there that she was a seller of purple goods. That is marking her to the ancient reader and now to us who are willing to understand it, that she is a person of means. Purple goods were expensive in the first century, often associated with royalty. She had a business that was a lucrative one. We also can see that she's a person of means because she offers to these at least four men at this point to come stay in her home, indicating multiple guest rooms, multiple space. She was a seller of purple goods. It also says that she was a worshiper of God. That in this context generally denotes that she was a person who believed that God exists, but had not yet come into relationship with Jesus. And so they go to where they're going, Paul, Luke, we think, the writer of Acts is there, Silas, these people, they go to where the people are, and it draws our attention to this woman, Lydia. And the details that are put in the text are to tell us that she was a rich, significant person, which leads to a really simple I think first thought, Jesus wants to save you uh, even if you're rich. We live in a culture that kind of toggles between, in modern culture, the wealthy are either sort of like luridly idolized or viciously criticized. And I would suggest to you that neither one of those extremes reflects the heart of God. In our culture, often, there's this idea that people who are financially successful, that either makes them inherently good or that that makes them inherently bad. Yeah, you can put that quote. I just read up on the screen. It's fine. You see this in so many different ways, and I think we can attach here some of the concepts of fame and some of the concepts of significance that we see in our society. On the one hand, there's this sense that uh, people who have achieved some I'll just leave to the side for this moment the lecture about how compared to most people who've ever lived on this planet, every single person who can hear me right now is rich in comparison to most of the people that have ever lived on this planet. I mean, we could save that for another day. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that, like, I've met all kinds of people who live in big houses but feel poor because the people next door to them have an even bigger house and all that kind of stuff. And there is this sense in our culture that wealthy people are either inherently good because of their wealth or inherently bad because of their wealth. Neither one of those things reflects the heart of God. All people, regardless of their worldly success, are sinners and in need of a Savior. As obvious as that may be, this rich woman comes to faith. Notice that it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart, puts Paul in a very passive position, and I think so often I talk to so many people at church and I read your prayer requests as they come across through the binder. I talk to so many people who are praying for, I really want my son to find Jesus. I really want my, my uh, uncle to find Jesus. I really want my teenage daughter or son to figure things out. And there is this temptation to think that our words are the thing that makes the difference. Notice it there. Who opened this person's heart? God opened her heart. We would probably, just for what it's worth, do better to do less giving speeches and do a little more praying that God would open the person's heart. It was the truth for me. When God, wanted, when God had my attention, he had my attention completely. 
and it wasn't because someone tried to make me. Just for what it's worth, that's a thought. And it says, verse 15, that after the Lord opened her heart to pay attention, and then after she was baptized, and then her household was baptized, she urged the, that's like strong language there, she urged. And the idea was, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, she said, would you please come to my house and stay? You can see there a sensitivity in Lydia wanting to believe that she could be accepted. And the way that she was going to be accepted was by the willingness of the apostles to accept her hospitality. That was like the mark of she was actually accepted. And I think we see there the usually difficult for many people to have sensitivity that people of means often have just people of means often experience people liking them because of what they have or accepting them because of what they have. And often they wonder on the underside, do you actually like me or do you just like the fact that I have a pool you can come swim in? Brian. <laughs> or whatever. No? Okay. No. All right. All right, I guess I'm out for next summer. Uh, <laughs> it's all over the Bible, this concept of I'll just, I have two verses for you. One from the book of Matthew. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Which should give us this pause that a person of great success, something about their success tempts them to trust themselves and not to trust God. On the other hand, the book of Proverbs says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Like many things, there is this extreme that we do well to pay attention to and not fall into on either side. You can love God and be generous if you have a lot, and you can be withholding and angry with a little. What you have is not an indicator of your godliness. What you do with what you have is an indicator of your godliness. And we see here, Lydia, she's saying, hey, like, okay. So this woman accepts Jesus. It says that she's baptized, and then her whole family comes to faith and is baptized. And she says, hey, if... If you really accept me, if I'm like really can be on the team, would you come over to, would you come stay at my house? There's this desire in her to, and so it says that the, they did. The acceptance of her hospitality was the test of whether they really believed that she had become a believer. And just simply said, we must guard ourselves against thinking that people who have a lot don't need God. We must also guard ourselves against the idea that people who have a lot are somehow worthy of our commendation or our idolization. We do well to see every person we come in contact with, uh, the place where you go to work tomorrow, the boss of the entire company may be the person most desperately in need of a touch from Jesus Christ, and you may be the person to bring them there. Jesus wants to save everyone. He wants to save you, even if you're rich. The text continues. So it says, verse 16, as they were going to the place of prayer, uh, we were, there's Luke. Do you see him? Luke's putting himself in the story. You'll find this as we study the book of Acts. It's funny. Sometimes he's like really feeling intense about what this was like, so he says we. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Uh, she followed us and Paul, and she was crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. There's a lot here. So the, these men who are trying to spread the good news of Jesus are going place to place, and they find this person who's a, who's a fortune teller. 
some kind of medium or, or someone who sells access to what's going to happen in the future. And it says that this girl was a slave and she had some kind of spiritual connection or power. Now, our modern scientific method taught instinct is to even read back 2,000 years and be like, well, that's made up, so what's really happening? Because we've been taught, every one of us who went through the school system in this country or in the Western world was taught physical things are real, spiritual things are fake. And even many of us who are fired up about the Bible, our instinct is the stuff that we read in the Bible is real when people tell us that God healed them or we heard from them, that's probably fake. But the Bible presents this story right here as though this is actually what happened. This young girl had some kind of, in a sinful world, she had a connection with the supernatural world. And she was able to predict the future in a way that we're going to see in a second brought lots of money to the people who owned her. There's stuff like this all over the place. Uh, on my morning walk right over here, uh, a few blocks away, down kind of right by the train station, there's this one house that has a sign out front that says, like, uh, house of psychophysics, or it's a word like that. And there's a woman who's in, set up shop in there. Again, our instinct is to be like, that's all made up. No way it's really real. I would suggest to you that the supernatural world is just as real as the physical world. It's just that people who don't have eyes to see it don't see it. And so this young girl, somehow, through this insight that she had into the supernatural, started following Paul around as he was speaking and walking through the, state, through the city. You see it? It's right there in verse 17. And she's like, these guys, they're servants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Something about her supernatural compass told her these people are people to listen to. And she started following them around. I love this next part. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed... I love the parts of the Bible that make me feel like I can keep up with the great saints. So anyone, I, if someone was following you around saying the same thing over and over and over for day upon day, who would find themselves greatly annoyed? <laughs> Paul, having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. So what we see here is that this young girl had a demon or some supernatural being inside of her that was able to recognize that these men were talking about Jesus, and that was what was talking. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, finally was like, this is getting in the way of what I'm trying to do, so i got to get this demon out of this girl. Look there in verse 18, I'm just reading, and it came out in that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, Why? Without the evil spirit inside of her, they're not going to be able to tell the future and have people pay to learn the future anymore. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Move on. Come here. You're in the sermon for just a second, buddy. Sorry. Don't worry. Lance is coming too, but this is a different part. Come on, come on, come on. So I don't know how many of you know uh, Brother Luvan and his wife Gloria. They're here almost every Sunday at this service. They sit right up in this place, and uh, they're a great gift to us uh, uh, this brother goes every summer and preaches in Africa, uh, not in English, in French mostly, right? Yeah. And he has a, a ministry online, and he's preaching to a lot of people. And him and I have talked a lot about in places that aren't like America, 
where we have such a focus on what we can see, we often only get natural results because we're only looking for natural results. And he sees God do supernatural things. Both, he sees both the evil side, the demonic side. Am I telling the truth? Both the evil side that we see in this text and the power of God in miraculous healings because he's in places and cultures where people are looking for it. And I want all of us to grow, and I believe that God has brought them to our church to help me grow and help us grow, and I don't want to just settle for what I can see. I want God to do things that can't be explained that would make me feel like an idiot if somebody else knew. And this stuff, like this, here, I can see it in some people's eyes. They're like, oh, this is getting a little weird for me. This stuff is not some crazy Marvel movie. The supernatural realm is real to everyone who has the willingness, thank you, to look for it. Jesus wants to save you, is what I want to say in the second part, even if you're being taken advantage of. As you read this text, you can't miss how the young girl who has the demon, do you see it? Her owners don't care about her. They care about what she can do for them. As long as she is able to tell the future, they can make money selling her ability to tell the future. But we see it there in verse 19 that when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. She was a young girl being used from what she could, being used for what she could do. So many people in our world, whether it's what you do for the company you work for or what you do for the family that you're part of or the way that you're paid attention to because of your looks or your money or your success or your ability to play sports or your or, 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 or. So many people have the feeling of only being good to people around them because of what they can do for people around them. And Jesus is different than all of that. Jesus doesn't need relationship with you because of what he can get from you. Jesus wants relationship with you, which is a completely different thing. We're so used to transactional relationships. And this young girl, it breaks my heart to ponder what she was put through because she had this one thing she could do. She could tell the future. She could be in contact with the spiritual realm. And so men put her into slavery and sold that thing with no instinct or care about what would become of her otherwise. But Paul shows up, and Paul, when Paul sees the way that she's suffering, even though it took him a minute because he was very annoyed, he gets the demon out of her so that maybe she was no longer able to make money for these men, but she was now on a path to being healed. And when, <laughs> verse 20, they had brought them to the magistrates. Let's keep going in the text. So Paul and they're taken now. They said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So is that what's on that screen right there? Is that why Paul is in, in front of the magistrates and the judges? No, that's nothing to do with it. They told a story to get the outcome they wanted. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Uh, we see here, and we'll see it again in a second, that uh, in the society in the first century, there were Roman citizens. They had a certain amount of rights, and there were other people, and they had lesser rights. And Paul is going to say in a second, you can't treat me like this. I'm a Roman citizen. But there was this system in the society where different people had different amount of rights because of who they were. It's basically the idea, some higher, some lower. And we've gone through two stories now. We're going to come back to Paul and Silas in prison in just a moment. But we've gone through two stories now where in each one of these stories we see a vulnerable woman. And as I was studying it this week, it caused me to just want to pause here. We're going to go five minutes in one direction and then come back to this text, which is this, three. Jesus wants to save you even if you are female. There is significant baggage in the history of the church in the way that the church treats women. Uh, Paul talks about this in Galatians, which was written similarly right around this time. I'll put this verse on the screen. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul goes out of his way to say, so there's not Jew or Greek, there's not slave or free, there's not male or female, for you are all, do you see it? One in Christ Jesus. That evil worldly systems try to build hierarchies In Jesus, we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and the ground is level in front of him. Women are not, and this is obvious, but should be said, women are not less than men. It is also true that women are not the same as men. Women have necessary and substantive contributions to make to God's church and in every sphere of society. So what our culture has done is because too often... Men did not do a good job of advocating for women. Our culture has said, well, you know what? Then we'll just say that we're all the same. We're all the same. We're all the same. No, we're different, but we have necessary and substantive contributions to make. This is the point, I think. Women often experience hurt from church because men use the truth that men and women are different as a subtle way of cultivating control. felt very prophetic that the baby started crying right while I said that. Did anyone notice that? It was like an amen from the Holy Spirit. Generation upon generation upon generation, uh, so often women have experienced that church is not a place to be, be their full selves, not a place to bring their full gift, not a place to, uh, to do whatever God made them to do. Generation upon generation have experienced women have this small little, this is what women are for and everything else. It's different. Okay. Women and men are different, and in a healthy church, this must be celebrated. What that means for us at Good News, and I'm just pulling this because I see it so clearly in this text, and I want to make sure that we say it out loud every so often. It is very important that although we don't subscribe biblically to the cultural waves of smoothing out gender as everyone is the same, it is also true that too many churches that are fired up about the Bible do not utilize the gifts, skills, leadership capabilities, and voices of women, and we don't want this to be a church like that. We want to create an environment, we want to have an environment where every woman made by God experiences the reality that Jesus is good news for them and that their voices are welcomed and a necessary part of what we want to do here. Jesus wants to save not just the men, he wants to save the women too. Okay, back to Paul and Silas in prison. So after midnight, 
Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In my mind, I imagine that they have really bad singing voices because that makes it even more charming. Like I, I loved in the service today, I loved the singers were up front today, had a great gift. But anybody, anybody like, if I was singing out loud, it would be a rough thing. Anyone like part of the bad singer club? Yeah, for sure, nothing, no, no problem. By the time it makes it to heaven, it's beautiful in his sight. <laughs> but after midnight, they had been beaten, they had been flogged, and now they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, listen to this, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So pause right here. In the first century, if prisoners escaped from jail, the, the jailers received the penalty that the prisoners were supposed to receive. Which is why in verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, just like obviously imagine oil or lighting a candle, and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Pause right there. Notice that the thing that made the person want to know about Jesus was not the words that they said, but the conduct that they exhibited. He sees these guys that he knows are in prison who had been going around the city preaching. And when the chains fell off and they were still sitting there, he's like, whatever caused you to be acting like this right now is the thing that I need to know because I need to act like this too. And so they spoke the word of the Lord to him, verse 32, and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Jesus wants to save you. Lance, come here, bud. Jesus wants to save you even if you are violent and even if you're abusive. Because Jesus wants to save everyone. I want you just to get your eyes, if you have a Bible in front of you, on... Uh, Verse 33. So you see what happens here? The jailer, God does a miracle. There's an earthquake. The doors of the jail open. The chains that they were wearing fell off. It's funny. This shows you how important wisdom is. In Acts chapter 12, we studied that Peter, the same something similar happened, and Peter left the jail. But in this moment in time, Paul and Silas stayed in the jail, and they awaited the jailer coming in, and he says to them, what must I do to be saved? Now notice this, verse 33, it says, look, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Come here, I want to do this on this side. So I want you to think about the power in that idea. That Paul and Silas, it says, we saw a few verses earlier, that that day they had been beaten with sticks or with rods. So just imagine what you would be feeling like physically if for about an hour yesterday afternoon, somebody hit you with a broomstick over and 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 over. 
They're bleeding. They're probably starting to like maybe scab a little bit. The blood had run down and had gotten hard on their backs. They were feeling that pain all over the place that it came. And the jailer, I'll be the jailer. You can be Paul and Silas. You'll be the good guy. The jailer had watched all of that happen. The jailer had watched while he was hit over and over and over and over. And the jailer did nothing to stop it. He was just doing his job, just kind of watching as these two guys had the tar beat out of them for nothing other than trying to help this vulnerable girl who was being taken advantage of. And then, miraculously, Jesus saves the jailer. And so then what does God give the opportunity for the jailer to do? Then the jailer goes, as he's being saved, he looks and he sees the blood all over, and he remembers, the, he sees they're not even scars yet, they're just fresh wounds, and he goes, do you see it? I'm just telling you what I see in the Bible. He goes and gets, I don't know, a bucket, maybe some warm water, some kind of a sponge maybe or a rag, and God gives him this opportunity to wash the wounds of the people that he allowed to be hurt. He allows him to participate in the fixing of a problem that he helped to cause. And I want to, just for a second, this is important, um, God often wants to use what hurt you as part of how he heals you. He often uses, like, the same person or a similar circumstance as part of how, you know, we talk a lot in our culture today about uh, therapy and trauma and all the ways in which we get broken, and those are good things and necessary things and helpful things. I think getting beat with, like, broomsticks, that would count as trauma. Yeah? I mean, are we good? Do we, am I, are we in the? Okay. There's something so powerful about the fact that one of the guys who was part of beating Paul and Silas also was used to be part of healing him. And so sometimes God is going to use a new relationship to heal what you feel about what happened in the old one. Sometimes God is going to use a healthy church to heal what you feel about what happened when you were part of an unhealthy one. Sometimes God is going to give you a boss who, wants, who cares about you and what you can do to help with what you feel about what you were taken advantage of in the past. And if we are so strong, what would have happened if Paul and Silas were like, dude, buzz off, man. Find someone else to heal our wounds who wasn't part of the like. So why were they able to allow that? Because in the grace that God supernaturally gave them that night, they saw him as a friend in Christ, not an enemy who hurt them. And God wants us, God wants to save even people who are violent and Abusive, I see here, like this man, this jailer. We're living in the day of cancel culture, which is that some failures require permanent social expulsion. We live in the era where there's some mistakes if you make, you're out of the group and don't ever come back. But the Jesus culture is that all of our failures, each of us, require repentance and restoration back to some kind of social group that we're part of. It is very easy to be merciful towards vulnerable people and be harsh and brutal towards people who failed in positions of power or positions of significance like this jailer. 
It's really easy to be like, man, my heart just burns for that slave girl. My heart just burns for that rich woman. But man, like the jailer who beat the tar out of those guys, buzz off with him. But that's not the way that Jesus works because Jesus isn't like our culture. Jesus saved even the jailer. Even the jailer and his family were saved because of the power of Jesus. See what happens just at the end of the story now and we're almost done. But when it was day, verse 35, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go, so therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, well, no, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into the prison. Do they now throw us out secretly? He says, no, let them come themselves and take us out. Paul's saying, listen, you beat us up. Now you want us to get out of town, fine, but we're not going out the back door quietly. You can come and say you're sorry first, is kind of what he's saying. So the police reported these words to the magistrates, verse 38, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Like that was, it sounds like that was like the deal. Fine, we'll say we're sorry, but can you guys please get out of town? So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. What have we seen here today? What we've seen here today is that Jesus Christ wants to save everyone. He wanted to save the rich woman. He wanted to save the vulnerable woman. He wanted to save the jailer who beat up people who love Jesus. Jesus Christ wants to save everyone. Jesus Christ wants to save everyone. Jesus Christ wants to save everyone. You can see that the band is coming, so you know that it's almost over, so it can be really easy to tap out and stop listening, but I want to stop us right here. This means two very important things for you and for me. Jesus Christ wants to save everyone. One, there are people that fill the rows of church on a weekly basis who like the experience of being here, but feel like because of things that are in their background, it's impossible that Jesus could fully, re fully heal, fully restore, fully redeem, fully love, fully want them. Can, I, can you just believe me and can you believe the Bible and can you believe the people nodding all over the room that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's gone on, no matter what the divorce was or what the abortion was or what the abuse was or what the, whatever the thing was, Jesus Christ wants to save everyone. You're not too far gone. It's not too far late. It's Jesus wants to save everyone. And so we also must extend that reality to the people around us that seem the most unlikely that Jesus would want to save. That person that you're like already feeling like, man, like 16 days or whatever, it's going to be Thanksgiving and I'm going to have to see them and I've been seeing what they've been posting about the election on Facebook, and I just don't, can't even imagine. Like, I just, I'm cool with everybody, but could you possibly mean Jesus wants to save everyone except for my uncle, who for sure he doesn't? Pastor, could that be a caveat? No, that's what happens. What happens in the heart of someone who is thankful that Jesus saved them is an open-hearted desire for Jesus to save all the people, no matter where they've been and what they've done and what they've experienced. And God wants to use us, like this text says, I thought I just couldn't get over it. I was thinking about it all week. God wants to use us to wash the wounds of people who've been wounded. Because we were like that jailer, right? Our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Our failures, more than we ever want to admit, have messed up all kinds of things and all kinds of people and all kinds of stuff. And God wants to use us to wash the wounds of people that are broken. 
by offering them a fresh start, uh, a free offer. Uh, Jesus wants to save everyone. And that changes the way that we talk and it changes the way that we think and it changes the way that we operate. And I pray that Jesus would encourage all of us towards that. Now, would you bow your head? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. Lord, I believe today that you wanna save everyone. And I wanna ask that you would help us to increasingly act like we believe it too. That Lord, there's people in our lives that if we're being honest, we're like, I don't see it. And Lord, I just wanna say today, you wanna save them too. Lord, help us to not because we've gone a long time since you've saved us to forget how dirty and sinful and broken and messed up we were and allow us to see the people around us as people you want to save too. That's what we're building our hope on. That's what we're putting our trust in. That's what we're leaning on to today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's sing together. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.